Oh, what a Savior. I'm so privileged to be able to come to a Father with open arms. He's always waiting for us to come. He's watching for us. We praise you for that, Jesus. Amen. Can I have a seat? Have you ever been in a situation where you needed help? Something you couldn't resolve on your own. Maybe it was a project where you were in way over your head. Or maybe you were moving and you needed help packing the truck. You know, we can be a proud people. We don't like to ask for help. We'd be more willing to try and throw our back out trying to move something ourselves than to ask someone to help us move it. We think we can do everything on our own. But there are times in life when we get into a jam, when we get stuck, when we can't get out of on our own. Sometimes these can be humorous. But then there are the times when the stakes are much higher and the damage severe. We're in the middle of a five-week-long series that's all about five different awakenings that we journey through as we find our way back to God. In week one, we talked about the awakening to longing, that we all have a longing to be loved, a longing to find purpose for our days, and a longing to find meaning when life just doesn't seem to make sense. We awaken to longing when we begin to realize that these longings are God-given and can only be met in a relationship with Him. But we all know that too often, far too often, we look to satisfy these longings in other places. Like the prodigal son in the story we've been looking at, we set off to find fulfillment on our own terms. But time and time again, we're met with disappointment. This disappointment leads us to that second awakening we've looked at, awakening to regret. And in this awakening, we come to a crossroads that will move us in one of two directions. And unfortunately, many of us get stuck in an endless cycle between longing and regret. But this cycle can be lived out in countless other ways. It can be lived out in the mall as we slide our credit cards from one store to the next. It can be lived out in a bar as we gulp down one drink and then another. We get caught in a continuous pattern of searching for fulfillment on our own terms and finding disappointment time and time again. Searching again, thinking this time will be different. And then finding ourselves once again wallowing in regret. Most of us have taken a spin or two in this cycle. 
We can get caught in this cycle even years after becoming a Christ follower. You see, these five awakenings are not just something that happens the first time we find our way back to God. They're awakenings that we need to come back to time and time again. It's kind of like the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Are the 12 steps that an alcoholic goes through the end, and are they cured after those 12 steps? Of course not. A person trying to break free from an addiction needs to work those 12 steps over and over again. Same way, these five awakenings are like that. We must come back to them time and time again. Do anyone here know the first step of the 12 steps? We have to admit that we're powerless over our addiction. That's another way of saying we can't do it on our own. Talk to anyone who has struggled with addiction or anyone who works with addicts and they will most likely tell you that 80% of the battle is fought in this first step. Asking for help isn't easy. Richard Rohr put it this way. He said, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread then climb the cross of the present and let our illusions die. Maybe today, maybe today you're tired of pulling on a door that just won't open. You see, it's this third awakening where we can find a new direction. The third awakening can change the course of our future. And this third awakening is awakening to help. See, in Luke chapter 15, when we look at the prodigal son story, we see Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, when we finally... My slides are not going, so somebody back there can change them for me. When we finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, at at, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. See, when the prodigal son came to his senses, he decided to turn his life around. Last week, we talked about the biblical word for this, repentance. Repentance is the realization that the direction we're headed in is taking us far away from God and all the good that he wants for us. But repentance implies not just turning around, it also means going back to where you belong. After the son came to his senses, he got up and he went back to his father. He went home. For us, repentance means the same thing. It's a decision to return to the father, to come home. This third awakening is a game changer. 
It's in this step that we stop trying to fix ourselves, that we stop trying to prove ourselves, stop trying to find fulfillment by ourselves. In this awakening, we come to realize, I can't do it on my own. The prayer for this third awakening, we've had a different prayer each week. The prayer for this one, hopefully will be on the screen in a minute, is God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the willingness to turn toward you for help. See, later on this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to give you an opportunity to come forward as a symbolic act of your willingness to turn toward God for help. But before we do that, let's talk about the reception you'll find when you do. What kind of God do we find when we come back home? No matter what we've done, what kind of God do we find when we come home? What kind of father is waiting for us? Luke chapter 15, verse 20 says, So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. See, it's the father we see in this story the father, the prodigal son, that's who we will find when we come home. Jesus tells us that the son walked the journey home, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, filled with love and compassion, runs, throws his arms around him, kisses him. That's who's waiting for us when we come home. It's the God who runs. Now, understand this. See, thinking about it in today's context, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but we have to look at the context of first century Middle Eastern culture. To see a father running would have been undignified, humiliating. First of all, the father would have had to pull up his robe, exposing his naked legs. That, in and of itself, was culturally shameful. But what's more, grown, what's a, a grown, important, respected men don't run anywhere. People come to them, not the other way around. It's not very different for us today, if you think about it. How odd would it be to see the President of the United States taking, going down the steps of Air Force One and taking off running across the tarmac to meet some other world leader. It'd be shocking. It would seem undignified. Important people don't run. There's something else significant about a running father. As Jesus tells the story, his audience would have had a hard time imagining the scene he was painting. In, in their day, a boy would, who had taken his father's money, 
and squandered it among the Gentiles would have experienced a very different reception as he made his way home. Typically, the people of that town would have intercepted him at the town gates before he ever made it near his father and performed a ceremony they would have called the kazaza. And this is how the ceremony would go. They wouldn't let him in the village, but outside the gates, they would take a clay pot and they would smash the pot in front of the boy. Then they would say something like, you have broken our community and you are now cut off from us, never to return. That's the reception the son would have expected as he came home that day. Maybe that's why he thought he should go back and ask to be a servant. Maybe that's even the reception he deserved. Maybe that's the reception many of us deserve. But the father didn't care about any of that. Day after day, he scanned the horizon, hoping to catch a glimpse of his son. His, his friends were probably telling him, forget about that worthless, ungrateful brat. Most probably encouraged him to move on. But he wouldn't stop watching longing, waiting for his son's return. And when he sees him on the horizon, he takes off running. He humiliates himself in front of all of his neighbors, and he runs to the boy to protect him from that kazaza. Before anyone could say to his son, you're cut off from us, the father envelops him in an embrace and showers him with kisses. Do you understand that this is the very same God who waits for you? The very same one who's scanning the horizon, waiting for you to come back to him. When we come to the point where we admit that we've blown it and we recognize I need help. This is how God will respond to us. This is the God that we will find. The God who runs to meet us with open arms of acceptance, kisses of love, and tears of joy. But we don't just learn about God from the Father in the story. We also learn about God through the storyteller. The most important step in our awakening to help is to meet the narrator of this story. The whole reason Jesus told the story of the prodigal son was to help us find our way back to God. And the reason he knows so much about finding God is because he is God. He's not some remote God who's out there and doesn't really care about what's going on in our lives, but a God who's present and active 
He's a relational God who longs to be close to us. You see, when you awaken to help and decide to come home, we will discover that help has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the God who is with us. He was sent by God to live among us and was one of us, fully God, fully human. If we want to know what kind of God is waiting for us, when we come back to him, we find him in the person of Jesus. In him, we find a God who's present, promising never to leave us on our own. A God who is full of grace, refusing to desert desert us even when we deserve it. A God who's humble, bending down to care for our needs. A God who's for us, sacrificing himself when we were helpless to save ourselves. Help has a name, and it's Jesus. What kind of God is waiting for us when we come back to him? The God we see in Jesus. Maybe for you today, maybe today is the day you find your way back to him. Now is the time to come home. Throughout this series, we've, we've challenged you with a 30-day wager for 30 days to pray the prayer, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. If you've been praying that prayer consistently, are you seeing God show up in your life? Chances are he's making himself known if you're looking for him. Maybe he's making himself known to you right now. Maybe it's time to come home. Perhaps you've been in a far-off country doing some expensive living. You've chased a lot of things looking for love, purpose, and meaning that you long for, but all you have at the end of the day are regrets. Maybe you've been hesitant to return. Maybe it's pride that has kept you from admitting that you can't do it on your own. Or perhaps it's been shame. Knowing that what you've done and, what, and that you don't deserve it. God is always watching the horizon for us. There's nothing we can do that would stop him from watching and waiting. I want to say as clearly as I can today that you can always come home. There's a God who's scanning that horizon, watching for you, who took the shame and humiliation of our sin on himself on the cross. He's longing for us to return. If you choose to come home today, he will run to you. He will welcome you with open arms and you will find his name is Jesus. So if you're ready to awaken to help, I want to give you a tangible opportunity today to do that. Some of us have never made a commitment to Jesus. God is answering your prayer and making himself 
real to you. And you know you need to make that decision. That you need to come home. Or maybe you've never made a public commitment to Jesus through baptism. See, baptism is the way people publicly acknowledge that they need to repent and to come home. Maybe today, maybe today coming home means making that decision that you're going to take this important step in your relationship with Jesus. For others, maybe we've already made a commitment to Jesus, but we've wandered far away. We found ourselves in this endless cycle of longing and regret, and we want out of it. We're ready to admit that we can't do it on our own, that we need to surrender to the one who wants more for our lives than we could ever imagine. Surrender is not giving up nearly as much as it is giving to The one we are giving to is Jesus. We're giving him our will and our heart, asking him to make us new again. We're asking him for leadership and direction. We're asking Jesus to save us from us. So today, we're going to ask you to step out in courage and to say, I need help. I'm ready to return to the Father. I'm ready to come home. The band's going to play a song. And I've asked some of our elders to come forward who've already found their way back to God. And as the the praise team sings this song, if you want to come home today, I'm going to ask that you come down front and pray with one of the elders up here. Does it take courage? Does it take courage to walk down front? Absolutely it does. But what you will find if you do is a God who runs to you, embraces you with loving arms. It's time to come home. Let's all stand as the praise team leads us in a song, and I invite you to come forward. It's time to come home.